hello, I'm your host, Braylon Williams, and welcome back to another episode of Any Grammar Store Podcast. I am over the moon that you decided to join me once again for another episode. Um, and if you're new, this is the first time listening to this podcast, what you can know about this podcast is, is all about the Enneagram and how it can be used as a helpful tool in our self-development, helping us restoring ourselves into better people. And so before we get into the show though today, I, I want to talk about some things that just kind of happened in the life of Braylon recently. So right now at the time that I'm recording this, um, it is we actually just started back um, for the, my last spring semester of college undergrad here at Evangel University. Um, and it was a day. So I had one class, um, 50 minute class, and the professor did not even show up. So the entire class <laughs> got up at 15 minutes uh, into the class. And it's like, well, he's not here. Let's leave. So that was a fun part. But other than that, it's been a pretty easy first day. Um, like I said, I only had one class today. So um, also got a new hairdo for the week. Um, you should check out my social media. Uh, I think I, well, actually, I did not post the hair. So you cannot check out my social media. Um, but decided to get some box braids. Long story short, they're coming down Friday night because they did not come out too well, or rather they did not come out how, how I expected them to come out. So I'm taking them down. Um, I'm going back to the original hairstyle for now, and we'll, we'll, we'll retry box braids later on. So let's talk about Christmas. Okay, so I told you uh, on the last podcast, um, one of the previous episodes, I can't remember which one it was, that some of the family was going to Texas for Christmas this past December, and we did. It was a great time. Um, I was in heaven the day we went to Waco to go to the silos. I could have stayed there all day, but my family did not want to, so um, I had to uh, go, unfortunately. But it was a great day. Um, we ate at a restaurant near the silos. I cannot remember what it what, what the name of it was, but it was a burger joint and it was amazing. So if you ever go to Waco to the silos, I highly suggest you go to um, that burger place. I, like I said, I can't remember the name of it, but it's right around the corner. It's not even a block away from the silos. Um, so so kind of give you a viewpoint. If, if you're at... Uh, Magnolia Press, you'll go, um, I want to say it's south of Magnolia Press, I might be wrong, but you want to pass the um, little white building that has fudge and knickknacks and things, and then at that crosswalk, go left, I think there's actually a car lot in front of it, um, they had a whole backyard situation, it was a pretty nice joint to eat at for a burger, um, very cheap too, it was kind of build your own burger type of thing, I liked it. Um, but it was a fun time, especially since that was the first vacation that I have been on in, oh gosh, years. I don't remember the last time I've actually been on vacation, so it was a nice relaxation for me. Even though I continued my Christmas tradition of getting, getting sick on Christmas Day, and I woke up at about 3 a.m. that Christmas day and uh, was peeking all over my cousin's house um and so that was a fun adventure um and then we went to 
church on Christmas Day with my cousin at her, at her church, at their church, and um, they made me sing. So here I am, a sick boy singing at a church I'd never been to, but uh, it was a fun time. I liked it. Um, it was a little bit different experience than what I was expecting because they had a little issue with some things at the church, so we were not in the sanctuary for the service, but in a fellowship hall, so... But it was pretty nice because it was a smaller crowd because of the holidays, so it was pretty intimate. And that was the nice thing about it. And they were very flexible. Um, and that, that was a nice thing that they were able to say, hey, we have a situation, let's be flexible to it. And I think that kind of speaks to, you know, not only blessed are the flexible, but which is not an actual scripture, but uh, also kind of speaks to some of the Enneagram types there. Because you have to think about this. I don't know any of their Enneagram types. I don't know if any of the church people in that church know anything about the Enneagram. Um, um, but you have to think, oh, everybody who's coming to make the, the, to make the decision of what are we going to do? We have this problem. There's different types. Some may have the same type. Some, and, and stress may go to somebody else's type. And so to say, hey, let's continue service and let's negotiate to this part and be intimate and we'll work out the other pieces later. That really speaks to restoration of saying, hey, it's not about what I personally want, but it's about what 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 benefits the people as a whole my preference aside how can we still be a light to those who need us who need to be worshiping this sunday on christmas day because i tell you i'll immediately say i needed to be worshiping that sunday um that's a little bit of singing sick if that can make up a word there because that Sunday was the first time I've sung in a church service since, uh, gosh, early December, because I go on winter break in early December. So I I wasn't at James River for about a month. And so Christmas Day was the first time I actually sung in a church. Um, so it felt nice to sing again. But as of today, the night that I'm recording this, this was my first night back on stage at James River. And it was so nice. I was at the West Campus. Uh, which was has been a long time since I've been at the West Campus. So it was nice to go back at the campus where I started out singing. So when I first joined the Change Over Worship team, I actually started out in, at the, in West Youth. Um, and so it's kind of, West is kind of where it all began for me. So it was a fun time. But Christmas was fun. Tonight was fun. Um, and here we are, another episode. And so what today's episode is all about, again, the subtypes. We've already looked at type the subtypes for types 8, 9, and 1. And today I want to continue that um, learning into the type 2 subtypes. Um, so again, the social 2, the sexual 2, and the self-preservation 2 is what we're going to look at today. Um, but I also want to offer this kind of caution, a little bit of a heads up, that today's episode is going to be the last time we talk about subtypes for a few episodes because next week, 
uh, I will have Jean Stevens, who is an amazing author and pastor. And if you don't know who she is, she is the founding pastor and co-lead pastor of Soul City Church in Chicago. And she is also the author of the book, What's Here Now? How to Stop Rehashing the Past and Rehearsing the Future and Start Receiving the Present. And so she's going to be on next week's episode. And we're going to talk about the work it takes to stay present. And also we're going to talk about some moments from her book that I just have to ask her more questions about. So that's next week's episode. But then the week after that, we're going to talk about one of the groups of the Ingram. And we're going to talk about the harmonic groups. So there are actually, make sure I count this right, um, three? Yeah, there are three different Enneagram groups, actually four. Um, yeah, of course, the main one that everybody talks about is um, the triads, which is the um, heart, gut, and mind. Um, so, but that's really like all the basics, and I that was kind of covered. I covered that really in season one, so I'm really not going to touch on that group. But I want to talk about. I'm going to take a few episodes in the first group I want to talk about, which would be the week after Jing, so episode 8, um, we're going to talk about the harmonic group. And this group is all about how each type handles conflict. But just to give you a little preview about the other two groups that I'm going to be talking about, um, the harmony group is how each type relates to the world. And then we have the Hornivian group, or which is best known as the stances, um, and that's how each type interacts with others to achieve their own needs. So today, the subtypes of type twos. Next week, Gene Stevens. The week after that, the harmonic groups of the Enneagram. And then the week after that, I can't remember what happens. So we're just, <laughs> we'll keep on flowing. I think I think after harmonic groups, though, we're going back to subtypes with type three. Don't quote me on that. We'll figure out later on. Here we are today. All right, so let's jump start into the type two, the subtypes of type two. And the first one I want to talk about this episode is the self, uh, gosh, I cannot talk, the self-preservation twos. So self-preservation twos go opposite of their vice by subduing their pride, which makes these, uh, this subtype, because they go opposite of the vice of pride, self-preservation twos are the counter type of the three subtypes of type twos. And so as the counter type though, pride is less noticeable in these types of twos because they are more feel, fearful of and have mixed feelings about connecting with others. So they fear connection a little bit more than the other twos and they have mixed feelings about is this a good connection? Is this a bad connection? How is this connection going to help me? All, all those different things that we all have when we are considering a new friendship, a new business partner, a new relationship, which is honestly not bad feelings to have, but this is just a moment where they have to work it. It's saying, all right, how healthy are these feelings that I'm having having during this time of trying to connect with somebody new to try to establish a new relationship. 
I'm gonna talk about I'm gonna talk about this a little bit more about kind of auditing where we are. I tend to have questions come to mind of how beneficial is this relationship to me in this moment of time? How would this benefit me in the future? How, if I take this relationship, could there be a healthy trade-off, an unhealthy trade-off, or kind of a neutral trade-off? And it's all these questions that come fluttering through our mind. So one thing that self-preservation tools can do, especially but anybody can do, is audit, evaluate how healthy are these ideas, these perceptions, how healthy are these questions. Am I asking as a self-preservation as a self-preservation too? Am I asking these questions as a way to completely avoid connection? Or am I asking these questions as a way to establish a healthy boundary of this new connection? Just food for thought. And so an average self-preservation too often neglects their own needs to take care of others. However, these twos subconsciously expect others to take care of their needs, of the two's needs, without the two expressing what it is. So it's, and, and, and this is one thing that I kind of find interesting. I'm kind of skipping in my notes a little bit here, but about the twos, with that matter, something I find interesting is they subconsciously expect other people to take care of their needs without expressing no need without expressing those needs and that's something i kind of find interesting because you know what that kind of reminds me of is children children expect their parents their teachers adults to take care of them and to know what their needs are as a child because children don't really know how to express their needs early on in development so as we become teenagers we understand all right here's my needs i need to express this needs to be taken care of but as small children, we are expecting adults to know, hey, I need this. I got to go to the bathroom. Show me the way. Help me out. Or I need food. Feed me. You are the adult. It's that kind of thinking that kind of connects, not, not fully, but kind of aligns with a self-preservation too in the average range of health. But this thing of, hey, I need you to take care of my needs, but I'm not going to express what those needs are, also kind of leads to feelings of martyrdom for a self-preservation too. It's like, hey, I've done all this for you, but you've done nothing for me. It's the ideology that says, I've done everything for others, now I'm owed, but I'm not going to tell you what I need help with you just have to figure it out what you own again i'm gonna talk about auditing yourself evaluating yourself a little bit more at the end of this episode but it'll be good for a two who is thinking this train of thought of saying why is this train of thought worthy for me or is this you know is somebody deserving of this thought? A, a practice that I just honestly think would be a good practice, and I honestly just came up with it here on the spot um, for a self-preservation too, who is having this feeling of martyrdom um, because of everything they've done and uh, they expect others to do for them is 
to say, place the person you're expecting to do something for you in a insert the name. Say, is does Tiffany deserve this idea of martyrdom that I'm expressing towards her? Nope. She's done nothing wrong. She doesn't know what I need. I've given to her just because I can't. It's all about intentions. Intentions. One of my favorite words is intentions because without that word, life would be so awry. But it's like saying, so I'm, I've minored in nonprofit business and social enterprise here at Evangel University. I've owned a nonprofit for a little bit of time in my life. I tend to work in nonprofits the most, but a common th thing that we have in nonprofits is volunteers. Volunteers are people who give of their time for the cause without expecting anything in return. Now we as organizations, as, as leaders say, hey, we wanna recognize the time you have given, so we're gonna do a dinner for you, something like that. But most volunteers, they don't volunteer saying, hey, I'm doing this for you. I expect something back in return. No, that's somebody who's saying, hey, I'm applying for this job. I expect you to pay me a paycheck. That's two different levels. That's two different spheres of influence here. That's a good way to evaluate as a self-preservation too. To saying, what are my intentions? Are my intentions here voluntary? Or are they kind of like, hey, I'm filling out a job application. I expect you to pay me for the work I'm doing for you. Volunteer work is different than paid work. You can't do a volunteer job expecting the benefits of a paid worker. Anyway, moving on to the unhealthy range of these twos. Self-preservation twos can become trapped in delusional self-importance and gross neglect or abuse of their physical well-being. Why is that so? Because they are so focused on giving to others without saying, hey, I'm doing all this giving, but nobody is giving back to me. I need to step back so I can take care of myself first. It's, it's a challenge. But I, I like to think that it's, it's not a challenge. It's, of course, it's especially a challenge for these two. But because we all share something in common with every number of the Enneagram, I think that this can be a challenge for anyone. But rather, I think it shows up differently for different types. I am so grateful for everyone's support. Without you guys, this podcast would not be possible. But if you're not already subscribed to Enneagram Restored Podcast, don't forget to follow and subscribe to Enneagram Restored Podcast to be notified of each new episode that is released. Let's, I want to move on to talking about sexual twos. And sexual twos crave intimacy. An average sexual two is the true intimacy junkie of the Enneagram. This is, a, this is a subtype that is driven to get closer to others, to be close both emotionally and physically. They seduce specific peop, people as a way of getting their needs met and feeding their pride. 
So a sexual teal is going to say, hey, I want to be close to you emotionally. I want to be close to you. I want to be intimate with you physically. So he will take care of me. Again, kind of feeds back to the idea of martyrdom just a little bit. I'm um, saying, hey, I'm giving you this close connection. You've got to give me something. You've got to take care of me. I've given my body to you. I've given my time. I've given my emotions to you. What are you going to get back to me? Sexual twos operate on the opposite side of the spectrum that social twos do. So social twos want to be everyone's friend. That's not the case for a sexual two. Sexual twos wants to be one person's best friend, one person's confidant. They see themselves as that person's number one intimate relationship. And if that's harmed, if somebody gets in the way, jealousy becomes a high factor. Sexual twos like to keep their friends separate, whereas social twos like to mingle in between their different friend groups and the social networks. Why do they like to, why do sexual twos like to keep it separate? Well, because they fear that they might be cut out of the relationship. Again, like I said, Jealousy. So right there, I just want to offer a point of clarification a little bit. I'm doing this because I'm I, I'm been big on really defining emotional words, thanks to Brene Brown and her book Atlas of the Heart. Um, I, I I never realized how big of a problem this is until I read this book though, like last year. How we typically use jealousy and envy interchangeably. But yet, jealousy and envy are two different things. They are two completely different things. So, jealousy, in short, is where you have a relationship with someone and you fear that you might be cut out of that relationship because they found someone else has stepped in and is kind of taking your spot. Envy, though, goes back to the Ten Commandments of like coveting and saying, hey, I don't have that. I want what you have. I don't have that laptop. I want that laptop. I envy that you have that. Jealousy is saying, hey, um, you, that's my best friend, not yours. Just a little bit of difference. And I like to really clarify a lot of times, especially now, because that's what I'm big on is clarification of emotional words. Um, but anyway, I want to talk about desirability in a sexual too which is a big deal for them. Sexual twos will spend time learning about the things that their partner values and likes in order to become closer with their partner. Their need for desirability drives sexual drives these twos to usually seduce their partners through giving their attention to them. So a sexual two is going to say, hey, I'm going to give you my undivided attention for an hour or more putting myself aside so you can talk about whatever you want to talk about i'm just going to sit here for an hour and listen to whatever it is you want to talk about honey. because when i do that i feel like you desire me because i'm giving you attention i'm allowing you to speak so you're desiring me as a sexual too because i'm stepping out of the way and i'm letting you have the spotlight 
again, I'm going to talk about evaluating ourselves later on in this episode. But here's a good point where a sexual two can evaluate themselves. As sexual twos move into the unhealthy space and they become, and they start to go into the lower range, lower average, lower average range, they become increasingly pushy and demanding and no becomes an answer that they cannot take and they feel like they just cannot get close enough to their partner no matter how much of affection they have towards their partner they could have a thousand percent of affection towards the partner in this in this range of health they have this feeling like they're just not close enough they're not intimate enough they're not one-on-one enough but then as they go deeper and deeper and they get to the unhealthy range, these twos become extremely jealous, possessive, and hovering because they fear that they will lose their partner if they let them out of sight. Telephone reach even. Unhealthy sexual twos often begin to obsess over about their partner and they become unable to accept rejection or even adequate responses from from their partner knowing characteristics of the different levels of health is a good point of evaluate self-evaluation and so this is something that could be applicable to any subtype of two but also any subtype across the board of the enneagram just a little bit of evaluation method is to say hey here's a characteristic kind of memorize characteristics of your your subtype just one you can shorten it. It doesn't have to be a long sentence. Just find a way to memorize one characteristic of every level of health for your three subtypes. Your dominant, neutral, and repressed subtype. And say, alright, hey, this is a characteristic of the healthy range of a social for me. Eight. How am I doing here? Am I close to this characteristic am I far from it? Far from it? Well, I'm I'm going to the lower average to unhealthy. I need to I need to do something to get back up to that healthy. Just something like that. That is a simple but yet effective evaluate self-evaluation method to knowing where you are health-wise and to say, hey, how am I doing as an individual? All right, y'all. So it is my great pleasure to have pastor and author Jean Stevens on the podcast next week to talk about her book, What's Here Now? How to Stop Rehashing the Past and Rehearsing the Future and Start Receiving the Present. In her book, Jean invites readers to embrace the present moment and all that God has for us here now. So I want you to go ahead and prep your notebook and pencil to take notes and join in on the conversation with Jean Stevens next week. So I want to talk about the last subtype that there is, the social twos. Like I said, social twos are complete opposites of sexual twos. Social subtypes and sexual subtypes are opposite across the board. But I think that for twos, they're one of the most opposites. Social twos seduce their environments and their groups. These twos are very generous and offer support, advice, help in order to cultivate an image of being an influential, super competent, 
person who was worthy of the admiration of others. Average social twos have a powerful desire to be liked and approved by everyone in their social sphere. It's not a, this person approves and likes me. Everybody must like me. No, it's, he likes me, she doesn't, we've got to work on that one, so she likes me. Oh, he likes me, okay. She likes me, okay. Uh, he doesn't like me, okay, we're going to like to get him, he's got to like me, so we're going to work on that one too. It's kind of like kind of like a Venn diagram, um, you, you know. They have Venn diagrams, probably the best one, but it's the first one to come to mind. But it's kind of like a Venn diagram. You start out with this large center because that's where everyone starts out. At. On one side, you have for a social two the one the people who admire and like the social two who approve the social two, and on the other half, you have the people who don't. So a social two is going to take. One by one, everybody from that middle will say, all right, which side do you belong on? Oh, you belong on the side that you approve and like me? All right, we're good. Oh, you're on the other side? Well, you're one of the people I got to work on to gain your approval, to gain your like, your love, your affection, your admiration. That's, that, that movement of, hey, separation of my social sphere. I, I just can't have one person be a quote-unquote, spokesperson for the social sphere. You know, every individual has got to approve, admire, and like them. That's a social tip. Again, moment of evaluation. How are you connecting to this? Are you saying, as a social tip, check in with yourself. Say, do I think everybody, every individual has to admire me? Or could just a few people admire me? I'd be okay. Weigh the scales. If you say every individual has to like me as opposed to just a few, might want to work on getting more healthy in that subtype. On the other hand, if a few people can admire and like me and I'll be okay, well, you're doing pretty darn good. Average twos also are driven by fears of being left out again, kind of like this idea of jealousy here. Not as much jealousy, but it, it, it kind of connects a little bit. Um, more of they don't want to be overlooked um, when things are being planned, when things are happening. One interesting thing, though, is social twos share a quality with sevens here. Um, and they, just like sevens, keep a busy social calendar so do social twos that is like the heartbeat of a social two is this busy social calendar how many connections do i have to make today where do i have to go to feed my friends to uh i got dinner with that friend all right done um then an hour late coffee with another friend all right all right and then we have a friendsgiving oh okay dude got the more busy a social two social calendar is the better they feel this is honestly a point of evaluation for even me as a social eight is do i really need to have my calendar filled i've been working on that myself um, because i am a person who is all about staying busy i, I hate sitting still unless i'm sleeping 
uh, I can't focus long if I sit still I'm not doing anything uh, and even then if I'm working on one task my focus is very limited because I've got to complete a lot of different things so I've really been working on this calendar thing thing of saying all right and what the way I've kind of taken the outlook on this right now is all right I fill my calendar but if I don't get to something in a day well we'll just move it to maybe the next day or a day later in the week or maybe to even next week and we'll see how it goes for me that has worked i want to get to that point where i'm you know not filling my calendar from moment i wake up to the moment i go back to sleep to begin with but for me i know that i've at least got to start with the fill calendar and move things away and that's helped me a little bit i still kind of sometimes i have to push myself to say hey oh, it's okay not to do that today just recording this episode is, is for example one i actually scheduled to record this episode in my calendar just so i know i'm kind of time blocking to do it tuesday morning but i woke up later than i intended to and so you know what it's okay move it to tomorrow and that's what i did here i am when recording this episode at 11 45 at night so it's that idea of filling the calendar moving around being flexible that works for me it may not work for a social two or even for a seven but i'm just putting it out there in air so you can say hey here's a good idea to do maybe i start with the full calendar and maybe i say all right didn't get to that today move it to the next day or move it to two days later see how it happens see if it happens then if it doesn't, well, we'll move it again. And if it's very important, well, we'll say, all right, cannot move it anymore. It's got to, this is the last time I move it. And if it doesn't happen this day, we're in trouble. And that's kind of what I do. Use my method if you want. Don't use it. It won't hurt my feelings. I'm just here to offer any help that I can. Any help that I can. All right. But I want to get back to talking about social twos. The social twos are the subtype of the three twos of the three subtypes of the twos to be the ones who think you scratch my back i'll scratch yours they kind of live by that and lower average social twos can create frustration for themselves and their significant other because they scatter across so many different calendar of events social contracts gotta be here gotta go there gotta do that not really giving attention to themselves and their significant other. Unhealthy social twos can be highly patronizing, constantly drawing attention to their quote unquote good deeds and calling in their favors, saying, where would you be without my help? Where would you be without me? Unhealthy social twos can become the classic enablers, covering up the misdeeds and art dysfunction of the people they value in order to keep them around. Honestly, to me, the social twos kind of sound like the villain of this story. Because um, they use, they keep people around, use them because, you know, are, are not really even the villain of the story. Kind of more like the mafia of the story. It's like, hey, I you scratch my back, I scratch my back. I do this favor for you, you do a favor for me. Capiche? Yeah, anyway, I don't know where I was going with that. All right, so I'm going to try a new segment here uh, in the podcast before I close the podcast. Uh, I'm still kind of working out on the name of this segment. 
but for now I'm calling it Restoration Comes in this moment. Kind of a long title. I know this is going to be a segment where I kind of offer up something that I do or somebody, something that I know somebody else does um, in accordance to their type to kind of help gauge where they are in health stance of their subtype, core type, whatever it may be. Um, I'm talking about that episode. That works well for the type that I'm talking about in that episode. But um, this one, because it is the first one, works well for not only subtypes of twos, but it works well for every other subtype too. It's a personal practice that I have in mind. And I kind of talked about it a little bit already. And what it is, it's, it's kind of a self-audit. And I say audit rather than self-examination because to me, um, a self-examination or a self-evaluation doesn't really quantify things good enough. It's like saying good, average, bad. Whereas to me, I hear the word audit, and I, I think I'm thinking actual numbers. I'm thinking on a scale of one to ten. I'm thinking percentages. I'm thinking monetary values. When I when I hear the word audit, I'm thinking especially monetary. When I'm thinking when I that view of thinking comes in, it's like how much money is being lost when I audit myself. When I say, "Hey, here I am," how much loss am I taking financially? By being unhealthy. But now in this realm. Financially actually means. Kind of like. Socially. Romantically and all that good stuff. Finance. Money. In the end of Money becomes more of a relationship type of thing. But. This method that I'm about to talk about. Is one that I do to myself. I would want to. I want to say. Probably every other day. Maybe. I do it, um, it's, and it's, it's very simple. What it is, is I kind of quantify my three subtypes. So my subtype order is social, uh, I'm an eight, so social eight, self-preservation eight, sexual eight. That's my subtype second order as of now. And one thing that I do often to audit myself, to quantify how healthy I am in each subtype is I use a scale of one to ten, one being the best, ten being the worst. I'll ask my questions. So I'll typically focus focus on one subtype a day. Um, so say today I'll focus on my social subtype because I'll kind of ask this ask this question to myself multiple times throughout the day, and it's like on a scale of one to ten. With ten being the worst, how much am I distancing myself from connection from connection to avoid rejection? So I'll kind of do that self audit throughout the day. That's why I said I kind of focus on one subtype a day because it's it's kind of you can do all three subtypes in a day, but for me it's easier to just focus on one a day. And so I'll ask myself that question multiple times throughout the day, say on a scale of one to 10, with 10 being the worst, how much am I distancing myself from connection to avoid rejection? I have other questions, but this was my main question for my social one. And I'll say, all right, 10, I'm distancing myself because I'm fearing rejection very much. Well, maybe I should go talk to at least one person. 
Say hi. Say how they're doing. Strike up a five minute or less conversation. Go back to distancing myself. That, you have to go to great extremes. Or I'll say, I'm, I'm five. I'm, I'm in between. Oh, well, that's good. I'll spend an hour hanging out with people and then I'll go back to being by myself. Oh, I'm a one. Most days, depending on the week, depending on how busy I've been and if things have actually worked out in my schedule. Ninety percent of the time, though, I, I'm a, I'm a one on this scale when it comes to my social aid. I'm, I hate being alone. Not really hate it, but I like to be amongst people. Um, don't need to be, but I like to be. I don't know why. Hey, that could be a point of uh, auditing for myself, figuring out why I like to be around people so much, rather than sitting alone. But that's one question I ask myself. Um, and then as a self-preservation, a, a question I ask is, how materialistic am I in this moment of time? Am I focused on gaining stuff so I can survive? Or So where am I at on the scale? 10? I'm very focused where I need to go find someone who I have a relationship with, whether it be platonic or romantically, go find someone I have a relationship with and talk to them. Sit and have a conversation, develop that relationship, ask them things about themselves to say, hey, life is, we don't get what, I, I don't get what I need by materialistic things, but alone, but I, I get what I need the relationships too. So our, it's just that idea of auditing say how bad am I how good am I how bad am I you have to be very honest with yourself when you if you do this type of self auditing though um, you, you can't fluff yourself out to really get well not even with this method but with any method of self auditing or deep work you cannot fluff yourself You've got to be really honest with yourself. But as a sexual aid, a, a question that I'll audit myself on is, how is my intimacy? 10 being the worst, 1 being the best. 90% of the time for me, I'm usually about an 8, somewhere from an 8 to a 10, though. Like I said, I my sexual variant is very repressed, but I'm working on it. But it's getting better. But I do have to say that sometimes I get so hyper-focused on getting better in my sexual variant subtype that sometimes I often forget to check in with my social self and my self-preservation self because I'm always auditing that sexual self to say, how am I doing? So I just want to issue a reminder that you don't want to just audit one, one of yourselves. You want to audit all three of your variants you want to say see how you're doing because those three subtypes make up who you are as a kind of as a core type as a core type and really they, they drive home the point of your core type so the thing about the enneagram is you have your core type and that's that's kind of like that's kind of like the engine of a car i don't know why i'm going with this bear with me 
The core type is like the engine. You have all these different things that make up the engine. That's the core type. But the subtypes could be one thing. Social subtype could be the coolant. The self-preservation could be the oil. The oil. The sexual subtype could be the belts of the engine. All three of those things help the engine run. I say all that to say that I've learned that by being hyper-focused on healing my sexual self and neglecting my social and self-preserving self a lot, I have done more harm to the healing of my sexual self than I think I am doing good when I'm hyper-focused on it. In the same time, I've done more harm overall to who I am as an eight in that healing process because I've been too focused on one subtype. Whereas, like I said, you gotta have the belt, you gotta have the coin, you gotta have oil, you gotta have lots of other things for the engine to run. So you don't want to neglect checking in with the other two subtypes. You want to check in with all three of your subtypes. You want to check in with your social, sexual, and self-preservation. That is everything for today's episode of Any Grammar Star Podcast. Again, thank you for listening. Um, again, don't miss next week's episode because pastor and author Gene Stevens will be on the podcast. I'm so excited for that. Um, and hopefully I can ask her all the questions I want to ask her in an hour. That's all the time I have with her. Um, but also don't forget to follow and subscribe to Enneagram Start Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Instagram. And if you listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the podcast. Because when you do, it helps with our discoverability on Apple Podcasts. So, and I'll appreciate I would really love to hear what you have to say about the podcast. Am I doing good? Do you hate the podcast? What advice do you have for me to better the podcast? Or do you just want to throw a joke in the review? That's okay too. But as I always say at the end of every episode, since the very beginning of this podcast in March 2021, remember that the Enneagram doesn't define you, but it does bring restoration. It helps reshape your thinking and habits.